If you have your Bible with you, would you please open up to Proverbs chapter 3. And as always, I'll encourage you to keep your Bible open the whole time this morning. Take a few notes and uh, then revisit it later on in the week. Sit with Proverbs chapter 3 a bit longer. And I think it would be good for your soul. What's your favorite type of movie? Are you a Western fan, sci-fi, rom-com, Hallmark? What's your favorite type of movie? Uh, you know your favorite type of movie has specific rules that it abides by. And that's what makes that type a specific type. And if those rules are broken, or if they show up in other types of movies, it just doesn't make sense. For example, I, I think Hallmark is a definite type of movie. It has very specific rules. If you're watching a Hallmark movie, and at the end of it, the boy kisses the girl, and then the girl turns into an alien and eats the boy... Something's wrong. The rules have been transgressed. That's not how Hallmark movies are supposed to end. A sci-fi movie? Yeah. And I could do with a few more Hallmark movies with aliens in them, between me and you. But those aren't the rules. There are specific rules that govern those types of movies. Now, just as movies come in different types, the Bible is made up of different types or genres of literature. It has historical narrative, poetry, apocalyptic Gospels, letters, and wisdom literature. And for the next few weeks, we're going to spend our Sundays looking at some wisdom literature from the Bible. The books of the Bible that traditionally make up wisdom literature are Proverbs, the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes, and depending on who you talk to, the Song of Solomon. Wisdom literature is found not just in these books, though. It's found throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. There are aspects of Galatians that we just finished that have wisdom literature in it. Uh, the book of James has a structure similar to wisdom literature. And so being familiar with this type of literature is beneficial for us in a number of ways. Now, just as there are specific rules for different types of movies... So there are specific rules for different types of biblical literature. And wisdom literature has some pretty specific rules by which we read it and we make sense of it. Uh, the first three weeks in this series, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. And there are some specific rules for reading Proverbs and making sense of Proverbs. If we misapply these rules, then we're going to get into some sticky territory. But here's just a few. There's, you can find scholars that have many more rules because who doesn't love a long list? But these are a few that can guide us in our study of Proverbs. So first of all, Proverbs are often figurative. They're pointing beyond themselves. Second, Proverbs are intensely practical. This is not theoretical, theological material. Third, Proverbs are worded to be memorable. So that means they may not be as precise if the wording sounds better. And then fourth, Proverbs are not guarantees from God. They are general guidelines for living, general guidelines of blessing. Let's use a modern proverb just to illustrate the way these rules get played or get used. So a modern proverb such as, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you go back to that previous screen real quick, let's look at the rules of Proverbs in line with that proverb. Uh, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. It, it's figurative. It's pointing beyond itself. This is not just about bedtimes. It's about 
discipline and industry. Uh, it's intensely practical. That's not some theoretical statement. Uh, it's worded to be memorable. That's why you can say it off the top of your head with ease. And then also, it's not a guarantee. Are you telling me that if I adjust my bedtime and my wake-up time, I will automatically stumble into wealth I have not known before? No, that's not what that means. It's a general guideline with some general uh, promises for blessings or encouragement for blessings. So this is, these are some rules that are going to guide us even this morning. We're going to stumble into a few of these that will help us make sense of some spots in Proverbs chapter 3. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, uh, just as literature has rules, relationships have rules. And those rules define, they govern these, our relationships. The rules that govern my relationship with my wife are different from the rules that govern my relationship with the IRS. Our relationship with God also has some rules or guidelines. And our relationship with God has a very distinct flavor to it. It's what we call a covenant relationship. Now, covenants have been used throughout the history of mankind as a way for nations to regulate their relationships with each other. It's treaty type of language. And the Bible early on took this language, the language of covenants, and used it to describe our relationship with God. Covenants have very distinct characteristics. Covenants are always between two nations. Covenants are between a greater nation, a more powerful nation, and a less powerful nation. Guess who sets the terms of the relationship? The greater party does. The greater party says to the lesser party, if you follow these rules, here are the benefits that will come to you. If you transgress these rules, here are the consequences that will come to you. And it's under these agreements, these covenants, that nations have always operated in trust with one another. That same type of language describes our relationship with God. In our relationship with Him, guess who the greater party is? Yeah, it's not me. It's not you. God's the greater party. And He sets guidelines for our relationship with Him. If you live in this way, here are the benefits that will come to you. And if you don't, here are the consequences that will come to you. This morning, Proverbs chapter 3 is covenant guidelines for living in our relationship with God. And you have to listen to me very closely. I'll allow you to check out the rest of the time. But you've got to listen closely to this right here to understand precisely what Proverbs 3 is and is not. Proverbs 3 does not describe how we enter the covenant. Very important. This is not how we are saved. This is what it looks like to be saved. This is salvation life, not salvation beginning. Covenant guidelines are for people who are already in covenant with God. How do we enter that covenant? Well, we enter it through the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 said, God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We enter the covenant that God has made for us when we turn our lives to Christ and we trust in Him to save us from our sin. Having done that, having been saved, having been given new life, having been made a child of promise by faith in Jesus Christ, then we begin a journey of learning what it means to live in this relationship with God. What does He require of me? 
How does it impact my thinking, my speaking, my living, my spending, my being? How does this inform all of the ways that I live my life? It's fair to say that there's a lot about God that is mysterious, but the shape of our relationship with Him is not mysterious at all. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, is a primer on how God's people live in covenant with Him. So my purpose in preaching this passage today is to bring you in line with God's guidelines for living in covenant with Him. This is for Christians who are beat up, Christians who are struggling, Christians who feel dry and distant from God, for Christians who feel like they've got it all together. The good news is this is for all of us this morning. This passage shows us three ways in which our lives need to be brought into line with God's will. So I want you to follow along with me as I read Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 1. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days a full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know Him and He will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. This is a fascinating piece of scripture. For those of you that love symmetry, this is your passage. It has beautiful symmetry throughout. These 12 verses are made up of six couplets. Each couplet has a condition to the reader and a blessing from God for the one who meets the condition. All of the odd verses are spoken to us. All of the odd verses have commands to us. All of the even verses describe blessings from God that can only come from God. We look at the odd verses and we see what we are to do in our covenant relationship with God. We look at the even verses and we see how God blesses His children who live within the guidelines of His covenant. And there are three ways we can split up these six couplets, three general areas where you and I need to give attention to the guidelines that God has set in place for our living. What are those three areas? Well, the first of those three areas that we need to pay attention to is our obedience to His Word. Our obedience to the Word of God is the very first area of our lives in which we need to bring ourselves in line with God's guidelines for His covenant with us. So chapter 3 opens up with words from a father to a son. Specifically, it's words from the king to the crown prince. And when we get to chapter 3, we're actually continuing a conversation of a conversation that started back chapter 1, verse 1. Oftentimes when we read the book of Proverbs, we just sort of parachute into a place and we'll read a few verses and then eject out of it. 
But I would encourage you to sit down and read Proverbs. Try this. Read it in large portions. And you'll be surprised at the unity you find in Proverbs whenever you read it in that way. It's not always so herky-jerky. Sometimes we find long threads of conversations and wisdom sayings tied together. Now, we're told in verse 1, Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. So it's important here, how are we to keep the commands? Verse 1 says, keep them from your heart. So what does that mean? Well, it means it's not enough to remember the command. We have to obey it. It's possible to remember a command without obeying it, just like a child who knows the rules but willingly breaks them. In our covenant with God, we take obedience to His Word seriously. And when we do, there's a blessing that comes with it. Look at verse 2. God's commands will do what? They will bring you many days of full life and well-being. So does that mean that if I want to have a lot of birthdays, that I need to obey God, and if I don't, He's going to take me out early? Is that what that means? Go back to the rules for reading and making sense of Proverbs. These are general guidelines. And these blessings that God extends are generally true. And in this case, it is ultimately true. So we cannot say everyone who dies young was obviously not obeying the word of the Lord. And everyone who dies old obviously obeyed God to the T. That's just not true. But it's ultimately true in this sense. If I walk in the way of the Lord... In my covenant with Him, what awaits for me, a child of promise, is eternal life and abundant life in His forever kingdom. Now, we're told in verse 1, don't forget my instructions, keep my commands from your heart. What are those instructions? What are the commands? Verse 3 summarizes it for us. Verse 3 says, never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. That's the summary of the instruction of the command. It's what you'll find laid out in chapters 1 and 2, summarized in this one little line, never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Now those two words, loyalty and faithfulness, in Hebrew are super important words. And we don't dabble very much in biblical languages on Sunday mornings, but this is worth it. These are the words. The first one, the word for loyalty, or your Bible might use the translation love, is chesed. Great word. You get to put a little phlegm on the front of it. Chesed. And it's one of the maybe five Hebrew words that I I always encourage people to commit to memory and to look for as they study their Bibles. Chesed doesn't just mean loyalty and it doesn't just mean love. It, It means this combination of those two words, a loyal love or a faithful love. And we find it throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms. And we find it in its Greek counterpart throughout the New Testament as well. Chesed, faithful love, loyal love, is the love that God gives to us. It's a love that we experience from Him first. And so since we have been loved and are loved in this way, the proverb tells us we are to love God and others In the same way. How about it? Here's great commandment material in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. We are to love 
with a loyal love, a faithful love, God and the people around us. We're also to practice faithfulness. The Hebrew word is emet, a great word. It it refers to reliability, faithfulness, trustworthiness. These are characteristics that mark people who are in covenant with God. And what are we to do with them? He gives us, the writer gives us a, a brilliant word picture. He tells us to take loyal love and faithfulness and he says, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. To bind them around your neck, this is, a necklace sits on the outside, people can see it. Write them on the tablet of your heart is on the inside where God can see it. So what we're told is that inside and out, We are to be the kinds of people who are consumed by loyal love and faithfulness. What's the benefit? What's the payoff when you live this way? Verse 4 tells us the payoff is favor with God and man. Such a fascinating phrase, favor with God and man. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we have this one little verse where we're given a glimpse into the growth and maturation of young Jesus. And Luke tells us this, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. What's the payoff to binding the word of God to our necks and writing it on the tablet of our hearts? The payoff is we receive blessings and live in the way of Jesus Christ. There's another area in our lives where we must pay attention to God's guidelines for our covenant with Him. First was obedience to His Word. The second is our posture to the Lord. Our posture, our relationship, the way we approach Him and think about Him, this requires specific attention in our covenant with Him. So verses 5 through 10 contain three couplets that all speak to the nature of our relationship with the Lord. There are three commands found in the odd verses. I want you to eyeball them with me. In verse 5, trust in the Lord. In verse 7, fear the Lord. In verse 9, honor the Lord. Trust the Lord, fear the Lord, honor the Lord. Now, verses 5 and 6 in particular are the reasons why you know Proverbs 3 is on this planet. Uh, Much-loved verses of very many Christians. Uh, Many people have committed these to memory, and we know them well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths. Beautiful to say, it's a challenge to live. Trust in God the Lord. That command is given without qualification. We're not told when. We're not told under what circumstances. We are just told wherever you are living and breathing, there is where you trust in the Lord. In every situation, every conflict, every mountain high, every valley low, trust in the Lord. Have you ever been in a situation, a hardship, where you found it hard to trust God? Of course you have. I have. And the question I always ask myself is, why would I trust God in my comfort, but distrust Him in my trials? It doesn't make any sense. If we're to trust the Lord, the writer tells us we're not to lean on our own understanding or rely on on our own understanding. We can only physically lean on things that can hold up to our weight. 
there are things that we cannot lean on because they do not provide the needed support. And so we cannot lean on our own understanding any more than we can lean on the wind. We rely on, we lean on instead, the Lord whom we trust. And if we know God, if we will acknowledge Him in all of our ways, then we're promised, we're told, He will make our paths straight. He will guide us through these situations. So our trust in God doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on our perceived strength. As if we would tell God, you can sit this one out, I'll take care of this one, God. (laughs) I got it. Just let me take care of these things. No. Trust in the Lord, period. All times, all places, lean on Him. The Holy One of Israel is your helper. So trust Him. In verse 7, we're told to fear the Lord. What's the alternative to fearing the Lord? Well, again, we're told in the passage itself. Verse 7 tells us the alternative to fearing the Lord is being wise in our own eyes. It's assuming that we know what is best to the exclusion of God. If I'm wise in my own eyes, that means I'm making God my servant. I'm putting Him beneath me as I approach my life and think about how I'm going to live my life. But God's covenant people, we fear the Lord. Now, our fear of God is not a phobia-type fear as if He's the the divine boogeyman and He's going to come and scare us. It's not that type of fear. This fear of the Lord is a reverential awe. It involves humility. It involves respect. It involves worship. Think of Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah stands before God in His throne room, What was his demeanor like? Remember what Isaiah said to the Lord? He said, What's up, buddy? It's about time. I got some ideas for how you can fix all of this mess. Listen up while I give you my list. Is that what Isaiah said? No, it's not what Isaiah said. He said, said, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. In the presence of God, he was aware of his utter sinfulness in God's holy, holy, holiness. There's a picture of the fear of God. In our covenant relationship with Him, we would do well to remember to fear the Lord, to hold on to a reverential awe and respect, a humility before Him. Verse 8 says that when we fear the Lord, He says this will be healing for your body, strengthening for your bones. So does that mean if I fear the Lord, I don't need a face mask and I don't need insulin? Nope. That's not what that means. Remember, these are general guidelines. It's a general promise of well-being. Our true and total peace is found in humbling ourselves before God. Trust the Lord. Fear the Lord. Honor the Lord in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Now, when we read this, our first thought might be about tithing. And I think there's something to that. But this verse is not simply or only about tithing because a Christ-like generosity requires more than writing a check. We're told to honor the Lord with all of our possessions. What do you possess? How do you know you're honoring the Lord with it? How do you honor the Lord with your lawnmower or with your dinner table, with school supplies, with a gift card? How do you honor the Lord with your time? Honor the Lord with your possessions. And there's a blessing extended to that generous person. 
Verse 10 says, Then your barns will be completely filled. Your vats will overflow with new wine. This is where we get a little squeamish. And we think, oh, this sounds like prosperity gospel. I'd rather not read it or look at it or think about it because it feels uncomfortable. But this is not prosperity gospel in the way that false Christian scoundrels like Paula White and others like her promote prosperity gospel. In our covenant relationship with God, we can and should rely on Him to meet our physical day-to-day needs. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a right prayer to pray and to trust the Lord for. And so as we think about God meeting our needs in the here and now, do you have food to eat today? Do you have clothes to wear? Do you have more than one set of clothes to wear? Are your bills paid? If not, do you have a church of brothers and sisters who have given generously to the deacon's fund to help you in your season of need? Yeah. God is caring for you. So whether you have two pennies or twelve pennies, be generous with all of your possessions. Honor the Lord with all that you have. And the promise to us is not fulfilled in in this moment, though God meets our physical needs. Jesus shows us the way we make sense of this promised blessing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He said, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the promise here is not about a barn filled with stuff today. It's about an eternal inheritance that never fades. We are to trust the Lord. The opposite of that is what? Leaning on our own understanding. We are to fear the Lord. The opposite of that is what? Living by our own wisdom. We are to honor the Lord. The opposite of that is what? Selfish hoarding. But when we trust, honor, and fear the Lord, He responds with straight paths, well-being, and abundant eternal life. How does our relationship with God look? What are the guidelines we are to live in with our covenant with Him? We are to pay attention to our obedience to His Word. We are to pay attention to our reverence to Him, our posture before Him. Third and finally, we need to pay attention to our response to correction. Our response to correction. The final couplet, verses 11 and 12. Very important. The final area of living addressed in this passage is our sanctification sanctification is the positive term i'm using for discipline for rebuke for correction for refinement verse 11 do not despise the lord's instruction my son and do not loathe his discipline now i notice that no one said amen and no one jumped up and ran a victory lap this is nobody's life verse god gives us instruction and discipline in response to our error. I want you to consider how incredible this is. He doesn't owe us that. He doesn't owe us instruction and correction. He doesn't owe us patience and refinement. He has every right when we mess up to just boot us out, be done with it once and for all. But He doesn't because He's a God who loves His children. He's faithful to us even when we are not faithful to Him. And so He instructs us and He corrects us when we step out of line with His will. 
In our covenant with God, there are things we will get wrong. There are bad things we will do. There are good things we will not do. And in these situations, God responds with careful instruction and discipline. And what form does that discipline take? Any number of things. It could be consequences from our choices that wake us up. It could be uh, the stifling of plans that are contrary to His will. It could be hard pruning of sin from our lives. But that discipline is a sure sign that God loves us. Good parents discipline their kids. It may be a preventative discipline that says, don't do that. It might be a reactive discipline that says, I told you not to do that. But parents who love their kids, correct. Give instruction, discipline, refine, do all of that. The parent who enables their child's self-destructive choices is a parent that is not practicing love. So when God comes to us in our sin, our brokenness, and He says, let me correct you. Let Let me give you some heavenly rebuke. He is steering us in the way of life everlasting. He is turning us back by His love into the way of blessing and promise and hope and relationship with Him. Those seasons of discipline are a special mercy from God. We have to welcome and receive His love in all the ways it comes to us. So Proverbs chapter 3 is a goldmine for our covenant relationship with God. What areas of our lives require attention for covenant living? Well, first is our obedience to God's Word. Second is our posture towards the Lord. Third is our response to His discipline. These are the three areas in which God's people must live within God's guidelines. Every relationship in our lives needs a wellness check from time to time. My wife and I, on a regular basis, we will ask each other, How are we doing? Are we making time for each other? How's our communication? Where are we missing each other? Well, in the same way, our relationship with the Lord needs a frequent wellness check. And that's what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 is for. So, brother and sister Christian, let's evaluate your walk with the Lord in the areas of obedience, reverence, and correction. Let's start with obedience. Are you living in line with the Word of God? In what ways are you remembering the Word but not obeying it from your heart? Are you known as a person who practices loyal love and faithfulness to others? Are you trusting the Lord in all of your ways or just in some of your ways? I'll tell you this, if your obedience isn't right, your trust isn't going to be right. Do you fear the Lord and live in humble reverence of Him? Are you honoring Him with your possessions? Do you welcome God's corrective measures in your life? Do you recognize that if your obedience, love, trust, fear, and honor are out of alignment, the Lord will mercifully correct you? Can you tell me where in your life the Lord is actively correcting you? Where in your living is the Lord actively refining or shaping you? Proverbs 3 is intended to bring us in line with God's guidelines for this covenant living. It's essential that the people of God live in the way of God. And so let's consider these three areas specifically. Obedience, reverence, and correction. 
In terms of obedience, what corrections do you need to make in order to live in greater obedience to God's Word? Uh, I want to challenge you not just to answer in a generic way as if to say, I, I just need to obey more. I want you to be quite specific. I'll give you three suggestions. First of all, specifically name the act or the area of disobedience. What is the sin specifically? Second, I want you to search the Word of God and find the Bible verse or passage that directs you away from that specific sin and into holiness. And then third, show your repentance by remembering the Lord's instruction and obeying it from your heart. Just like Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. What changes do you need to make in order to repair your relationship with the Lord? If your reverence to Him is broken, how is that repaired? Aren't we frequent violators of His trust, His reverence, and His honor? We are indeed. And let's be clear about the tragedy of the life that does not trust, revere, or honor the Lord. That's a dark place to be. But here's the good news. The repair of our relationship with the Lord has never been our work. It's always been His work. In Psalm 51, we find the words of King David, utterly broken by his awful sin, in which he has violated the Lord's trust, reverence, and honor. And in that prayer, he doesn't make big promises and commitments to do better. He throws himself completely on the mercy of God. Listen to the opening of his prayer, Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, chesed. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. This is the beauty of having a God who is faithful to his covenant. Like the father of the prodigal son in Luke 15, the Lord will welcome you home and clean you up. Finally, what changes do you need to make in order to have a healthier response to the Lord's correction? Sometimes we resist the Lord's correction out of stubbornness. Paul was speaking to these types of people hardened by sin in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, when he asked, do you despise the riches of God's kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? A spiritual immaturity of the worst kind rejects the Lord's correction. But the person who's secure in the love of the Lord will not only welcome his correction, but seek it out. So could you add this prayer to your morning routine from Psalm 139, verse 23? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Why would you bring yourself in line with God's guidelines for obedience, reverence, and correction? I'll tell you why. It's because of God's amazing blessings to His children. In verse 2, it's life everlasting. In verse 4, it's favor with God and man. In verse 6, it's direction for our lives. In verse 8, it's well-being. In verse 10, abundant life. And in verse 12, the love of the Lord. Aren't you ready for a fresh start? Aren't you ready for that relationship to be right? The difficult truth about Proverbs 3 is that it reveals how weak we truly are. 
glorious truth about Proverbs 3 is that it reveals how incredible and gracious our God is. A writer named Jared Wilson wrote about our weakness in his book called The Imperfect Disciple. And he said this, Our weakness is no hindrance to God. In fact, he seems to prefer it. If only because the less of us there is, the more of him shines through and the more glory he gets. Don't be afraid of your weakness. It's the only thing God will work with. And the weaker you are, the stronger you will discover your Savior to be. You need not fear. God is the hero of Proverbs 3. How amazing that he would save sinners like us by sending his son and then patiently and graciously help us to live in greater faithfulness to him. So, My friends, don't forget this teaching. But let your heart keep the Lord's commands. for They will bring you many days of full life and well-being. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then Proverbs chapter 3 is a difficult passage for you. The blessings are for those in a covenant relationship with God. If Jesus is not your Savior, then you are outside the covenant. And you've tried to be a good person and you've had good intentions, but like everyone else, you have failed to live up to God's standard of sinless perfection. All of us are guilty of sin and all of us have fallen short of God's blessings. Death is the proper punishment for sinners like us. But here's good news for you. God the Father sent God the Son to die in your place for your sin. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was fully God and fully man. And since he was the God-man, he lived a sinless life and lived up to God's obligation of sinless perfection. Since he's the sacrificial lamb of God, he is the only and perfect sacrifice to die in our place for our sins. He died on a cross, absorbing all of God's wrath for all of your sin. And three days later, he rose from the dead and his resurrection validates everything he ever said and ever promised. Jesus loves you. And he promises that he will forgive you and save you when you believe in him. So that means turning from your sin in total and turning to Jesus, relying on his death and resurrection to save you. And when you turn to Christ, his righteous record of keeping the covenant is credited to you. And as a result, you'll experience all the blessings of his covenant faithfulness by his merit and not your own. Christianity has never been about keeping the rules in order for God to save you. Christianity is about how God saves you through His Son and then molds you into His image so you can live out the life God meant for you to live. God has given you this day, this moment, to turn from your old life and accept Christ as your Savior. And you can express your faith in Christ through a simple and sincere prayer. And if you have questions, want to talk more about this, then after our service is over, I want you to come and grab me or one of our other pastors. New life awaits you today. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to put into practice what we've just studied. So we come trusting in you and fearing you. There is none like you. You alone are holy, holy, holy. You alone are God. We have never known love like your love. Every other thing we would call love is feeble imitation. Yours is faithful love. Yours is 
loyalty, reliability, never ceasing. Thank you, God, for being faithful when we are faithless. And so I pray that you would help us, your children, this morning as we consider Proverbs 3 to bring our lives in line with your guidelines by the power of the Holy Spirit and the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Thank you for helping refine us and shape us. So, Lord, we give ourselves to your molding. You are the sculptor. We are the clay. Lord, mold us into your image that we would live the life you have planned for us to live. God, I pray for my friends in here that don't know you as their Savior, that this morning they've heard the gospel. They've seen your incredible ways. God, draw them to you, convincing them of your love for them and the plan you have for their life. Thank you for meeting us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.